So good morning. Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Chapel Hill. And if you do not have a Bible or if you want to flee the world of technology, raise your hand and uh, our usher will bring a Bible for you if you need one. So again, please raise your hand. If you do not have one, we'll get one to you. You heard about the men's breakfast, so I'll spare you saying that you must be there. But you didn't hear about the Deep South Men's Conference, so make sure if you haven't registered for that, please do. Um, and again, men that have registered for the conference, make sure uh, the table outside, the welcome table, there is a list. Just get your name on there so that I can get you in the group communication that we'll have while we are traveling in there. Uh, Friday was a very special night uh, for our church. We had the beautiful choir concert with the beautiful presentation of the story. The choir was a blessing. Brent and Paul were a blessing, running tech and sound. The McGann crew taking care of the desserts. The young adults coming, taking care of cleaning everything up. Up The church really just coming together in a beautiful way for that wonderful night. And let's give glory to God for that performance. It's truly a blessing. Truly, truly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, this morning. Thank you that we get the gift to come into your word, Lord. Thank you that we get the gift to know you deeper, Heavenly Father, that each time we open up your word, you illuminate more, you show us more, that we get to know more about you, more about your character, more about your faithfulness, Lord, and more about your design and plan, Lord. So we thank you for this time, Heavenly Father, and Lord, I just pray that you can help distractions be put aside. Let this not be a time to think about what must be done after this. Let this not be a time to look at that text that comes in, but to just be a time to focus on you, Jesus, to focus on your word, to focus on the manna that you have for us this day, Lord, that when we leave this place, Lord, we leave better equipped to be who you are calling us to be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, I'm mindful with my lovely bride's orientation thing. I've got a cutoff time, but uh, we'll, we'll see how we do with that 11.45 cutoff. Um, so last week, we started John chapter 3. And this chapter, as we talked about last week, holds the beloved verse that so many people know of the over 31,000 verses in Scripture. It's a verse that gets used the most, that most people know, John 3.16. And it's important when we see these verses that we know so well often, for those of us who are believers, for those of us that walk with Christ, that when we come to it, that we always still have our hearts prepared to say, Lord, show me new things in this today. Illuminate what you are trying to show me, Lord. And also that we remember to seek the application of what we're seeing in our lives and we have to put that application in the culture of our world today. And John 3.16, when we think of our world today, when we think of the greater church today, there's some depth of application that we're going to see, particularly in the fact that in the bigger church, there's so much leaving out the gospel. There's so much distorting of the gospel that's taking place that when we look at these verses that so many of us know, we need to be mindful of saying, Lord, help me to glean wisdom from this. Yes, I'm a believer, but help me, Lord, to glean fresh wisdom from this, for this time, for this day, for such a time as this. Now, last week, we saw Nicodemus coming to see Jesus, and he came by night, a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews. His world upside down in that moment when Jesus says to him that he has to 
be born again to see the kingdom of God. We talked about how he would have thought with everything he's gone through, with everything he knows as a Pharisee, a ruler of the status that he's reached, he's okay, he's good to go. But Jesus in this moment says to him, you're actually not good enough. Jesus in this moment says, your current condition is gonna yield eternal consequences and you have a choice to make. You must be born again. Works aren't gonna get you in. Religion isn't gonna get you there. Family members that know you and that you're, you go to with them, you're following with them, it's not gonna get you there. You have to be born again. We saw the need of being born of water and born of the spirit. The first birth, not enough. Again, the spiritual birth, needing. And we talked about the two parents of that spiritual birth, the word and the spirit. The word and the spirit convicting and revealing and giving deeper knowledge of that. The charge that we had last week was to ponder. I know some of you are keeping a word con on how many times I say ponder. You've been found out. Um, but in terms of that, did you ponder, is Jesus enough? Is Jesus truly enough? Did you think about what kind of meal of the word you're consuming? Are you a protein smoothie consumer? A lot of protein smoothies. They're quick, they're easy, they're convenient. Or are you having that meat? Are you marinating it? Are you putting seasoning on it? Are you chewing it slowly so that it can be digested well? How are you doing with the sovereignty of the Holy Spirit? And how are you doing with sharing your birth story of being born again? So those were things for us to think about. And today, we go on with the encounter with Nicodemus. And the title of today's message, as you see, is Condition, Consequence, Choice. Condition, Consequence, Choice. In the verses that we're going to look at today, we're going to be reminded of Nicodemus's condition. And we're going to remember that we all have a condition that we come to when we see Jesus face to face. We think we're good enough. We love the darkness. We love the sin that we're in. We're comfortable with the sin. It feels good. Why would I change it? We avoid the light. We avoid the light because guess what? That means there's accountability. We don't want that. That means there's authority over me. This God's going to tell me how I live my life. I don't want that. I have to surrender my control. I don't want that. I have to be selfless. I don't want that. I'm going to hide. And we saw Wednesday night, Numbers 20, uh, 32, 23, your sin's going to find you out. You can't hide. You trick yourself into thinking you can hide. And the condition that we end up in is a battle. It's a battle of my dreams and plans versus his. It's a battle of my truth amidst a culture that says, live your truth, versus the truth. It's a battle of my way versus Yahweh. And if we recall, we saw the three hearts when we were looking in uh, John 2, and we saw that my way heart, the fake way heart, the his way heart. There's a condition that we're in. The condition that we're in, we're going to see it has consequences. We're going to be reminded of the eternal consequences with our condition. If we want eternity with him, there's conditions to that. Eternity away, away from him, there's ways for that to take place too. We're gonna see eternal communion with him versus eternal wrath of God. How? Receiving or rejecting. Receiving or rejecting. And in that, we will see a choice. 
The condition is known, the consequences are known, and then therein lies a choice. Surrender or stay? Yield or push? Submit or rebel? Receive or reject? Now Jesus tells Nicodemus, you're not good enough. And we're going to see here, he's saying, but there's a way, there's a hope. Now, in culture, when we think that we aren't good enough, that's when vices become bondage in our life. It might be food. It might be sex. It might be drugs. It might be finding how many surgeries can I have to look the way that I want to look, how many games and how dark can I get lost in a room just playing games all by myself, anything but the word of God. And when we're in that state of the realization of not being good enough, we can fall susceptible to the world saying, no, 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 you are, just be you. You do you, you're good the way you are. But Jesus, when we realize we're not good enough, says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Receive, believe, I will make you a new creation. Now, as a church, again, I'm challenging us, always be thinking, what are the different things the Lord is putting in front of us as a body at once? So we have this choir concert that tells the story. We're in Psalms where we're seeing the evidence and the character of God over and over again that we don't look to circumstance, but we look to that. And now we're in John chapter 3, where we're looking at what it means to be born again, how we believe. So a message I think that we need to be reminded of is the urgency of sharing the gospel. The urgency of letting people know Jesus is the way. Jesus is it. Letting people know, hey, let's look at your condition. Let's talk about the consequences and you've got a choice to make. So with that, let's stand and let's read John 3, 9 to 21. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the son of man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Lord, thank you for your word preserved for us, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I ask you right now to help me get out of the way, that you would just consume my heart, soul, and mind, that the words that come out of my mouth would be what are needed for each and every single person in this room.
that we would focus solely on you. Lord, speak to us today. Illuminate these verses, Lord. Bring, Lord, the conviction needed that we would repent and run the race better for you, glory. Lord, we're made by you and for you. Speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. So verse 9, we see here, Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? We just had the words about the wind and the spirit come, and now Nicodemus is saying, how can this be? This is still really hard to believe. I need you to, to give me more. How? How can I be born again? How can I have faith in something that I can't see? Think about Nicodemus. He's a man rooted in law and religious checklists. He can't understand these notions where the checklist, the rules, that's going away. Because born again means you let go of your control. You let go of your logic. You let go of your way. He's saying, how? And that's a question that we still have to think of today. How can these things be? And in our culture, that question when somebody is struggling with it is one we need to truly be praying for their heart during that. Because with social media, you can hop right online and you can find somebody with a lot of letters behind their name that makes whatever you want to believe fact. And we have to understand that how can these things be has to be something we're praying for those hearts that are saying that. Because even within the church, sadly, churches are again shifting away, moving away from just the word itself. And we're seeing more and more, you're good the way you are. You don't have to worry about how those things can be. You're good the way you are. No, we need hearts staying in that how can these things be. For the person here who might not know the Lord yet, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That's a big how can that be. But you've got to wrestle with that and you've got to surrender and accept. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's it. Take that and then we go everywhere else. And the last thing I'll say with how can these things be, for you, the believer sitting here, take stock briefly. How are you doing with biblical communion with the Holy Spirit? Do you see that and say, how can that be? How can that happen? How are you doing with anchoring in the word of God alone, not needing other things? How are you doing with the idea of faith over feelings? It's not about how you feel. It's about what you believe. How are you doing with surrender no matter what? Are you saying, how can these things be? Take your how can these things be to Jesus. So we go on, verse 10. Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel? And do not know these things? He's saying to him, come on, you're the, t the teacher. Now, we don't know the exact status of what that is fully meaning where he is and what line and how many people are with him, but we know he's of importance. We know this. We know he's part of the Sanhedrin. We know that he would have seen Ezekiel 36, 26, and 37. And we look there and see that, let me turn there, uh, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. He's going to be thinking, I'm good the way I am. This is all good. It's all taken place. But no, he's saying, teacher of Israel, how do you not know these things? You have all the facts, but you don't have the truth. It's that blindness. It's that darkness. It's that head knowledge without the heart 
being his. Without the heart having surrendered. It's that person that can quote all the Bible verses, that can talk a lot of theology, but is it in you? Do you live it? Is it actually something you're obeying and that you're surrendered to or not? Verse 11, most assuredly I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen and you do not receive our witness. So now he takes this further again and he says, most assuredly, we've seen that phrase. That's saying, I'm telling you the truth. And the you there is important to notice because it's plural. It's for all. Saying, most assuredly, I say to you. And then we have here, we speak. Jesus says here, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen and you do not receive our witness. Think about Genesis 1, 26, 27. Let us make man in our image, our triune God that we serve. In this moment, it's that reality. Father, Son, Spirit are working together from the beginning. Remember Genesis 1, 1, verse 2 has the Holy Spirit present. Remember what we saw in John 1, 1. We see in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we see the Trinity here. He's saying we speak what we know. We testify what we've seen, but you're not receiving our witness. Today, when we think of these ideas of speaking what we know, testifying what we've seen, guess what? It's all here. The word of God. We've got all of it right there in our hands or on your device. But we've got it all set there. And again, you don't receive the witness. You're rejecting what's coming forth. You're not taking it. The condition of Nicodemus and others that have that same struggle that we all have before we come to know Jesus is being revealed. He's hearing it. He's seeing it. But he's not receiving it. That's the reality that permeates unbelief today. Understand, someone can hear the word of God. Someone can see it. Someone can sit here. They can understand all of it. But then that's that stubborn family member that's just, you're saying, when are they going to get saved? They're here. They're, they must not understand. No, they may very well understand saints, but they're not receiving it because pride has them rejecting it. Pride has them keeping away from it. Their antenna's not tuned in where it needs to be. If you think of, I, I remember growing up, the transition to t TVs, but one of them, when I was really little, had antennas on it, and it needed to be moved around so you could see things. The antenna of their heart is not willing to be put in tune with Jesus. Pride, doubt, unbelief. What did we see about the heart? Jeremiah 17, 9, deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can know it? It's what we've talked about in the first two chapters of this. Jesus brings the spiritual truth, but their blindness and darkness won't see it. Verse 12, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? I told you about the new birth. I told you about the wind and spirit. I've, I've, you've seen what I've been doing on the earth. Remember, we looked. They would have, he would have known of everything that John the Baptist said. All the things that have taken place, you know it. How can I give you more? Nicodemus, he's saying, suspend your disbelief. Believe. There's a spiritual truth here that you need. There's a spiritual birth that you need. We need to be praying for people that just look at the surface. No, see the spiritual truth of who Jesus is. Going on, verse 13. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven. That is, the son of man who is in heaven. 
Remember John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In this moment, Jesus is again reminding, I'm the only one that's been there. I'm the only one. And that's an important thing for us to remember in a culture that wants to say there's mediums that can tell you about someone in the afterlife. And there's this person that can do this. And you can go to this witch doctor. You can do that. No, there's only one who was there and came. Jesus. There's only one. There's no other. Just one. Basta così. One. Jesus. There's no other. And we have to remember that. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. That's it. Jesus provides the condition of what's going on. And he's going deeper. He's saying, listen, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the son of man who is in heaven. Me, the son of man, come for all humanity. The word become flesh. This is what he's trying to put there. And he's giving that example to the teacher next. Because he gives all this and he's like, all right, let me give you another example, teacher of Israel. Verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up. He goes to something, again, that he would know of. He goes and says, okay, I'm giving you all these things. It doesn't seem like that spiritual truth. You're not fully getting it all yet. Jesus knows the heart. So now he says, let me give you this other. Do you remember the serpent? Do you remember that? Turn with me to Numbers chapter 21. And this idea as you're turning there, he has of lifted up that we see at the end of verse 14. We'll see that again in John 12 when we look at the crucifixion. We'll see it in Acts 2 with the ascension. It's a phrase that comes in regard to our Savior. Now Numbers 21 verse 4. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. They've been delivered, but the soul's discouraged. It's bitter. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Human nature. I'm upset. I'm bitter. I'm going to complain about whoever's in charge. I'm going to complain about whatever I can complain about. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. They say, God, what you've given us, what you've given us to live off of, it's worthless. We don't want it. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Now you could look at that and say, oh my goodness, that's so, that's so horrible, that's so evil, that's such a harsh God. No, it's a choice. There's two options. He had given the bread. They decided it's worthless, so it's like, all right, fine. You don't need to have the worthless bread. I'm giving you away. You don't want that way? Fine. Now the serpents are biting. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. Remember in Hebrews where we see a father chastises his children? It comes, it happens, discipline comes, correction comes. Love it, embrace it. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and so it was if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Now, I know a lot of us are country folks here. This is not telling you to find a snake, wrap it on a pole, and if your kid gets bit, hold it up and declare healing. That's not what's being said here, just to be clear. Now, when we look at this, 
The serpent in the Bible, when we look at Genesis, when we look at Revelation, it represents evil. Bronze in the Bible represents judgment. God gave them the bread from heaven. They disliked it, so they get the serpent of death. They hate his blessing, so they get contrary to his blessing. And they didn't take God's way of sustaining, so they face death. The serpent is that bite of sin. The bronze serpent resembles the sin judged and dealt with. And their faith is looking at this and believing, okay, Lord, this is what you're saying to do. We're going to do that. We look to that unto healing. Now, an interesting thing is the medical symbol is that rod with that serpent. And when you think about that, to think how far it's come, our medical system and our things, all rooted on the Lord, and then somehow we know how, the enemy. Now, we have faith here, and in, he brings this up to Nicodemus, and he's saying, so even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Mankind is bitten by the snake of sin. That's what we all have snake bites from the snake of sin. And he's saying, look unto Jesus. Look unto the cross for healing. Look unto the cross for healing. Isaiah 45, 22. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. The fulfillment of this coming. Isaiah 53, 5, a verse so many of us know. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. The healing that we're looking at here, the healing that needs to come, guess what it is? The healing for the sin-sick soul. And we have to understand that. That's what Jesus came. That's the most important healing. When we have someone that's sick, yes, we pray. We ask the Lord for healing. That would be beautiful. But he's sovereign. The most important healing is salvation. Where are they going to be eternally? This verse, Isaiah 53, 5, isn't a verse to take and create a healing ministry and say, you're healed. By his stripes, you're healed. By his stripes, you're healed. Whoa, you're not taking this out of context. Have you read the whole book of Isaiah? It's talking about salvation. It's talking about the fact we are sin-sick souls. The disease is sin. The disease is death because of that sin. And we need saving. We need a savior. So Jesus gives this portrait to help Nicodemus understand you need to be born again. I told you about the water and spirit. I told you you could tie that to Ezekiel's prophecy. I'm giving you this thing from Numbers. You need to be born again. Now, look at the fact he doesn't give up if we think about this. Jesus doesn't have Nicodemus still saying, well, how can this be? Dude, figure it out. No, notice he kept giving different examples it's a reminder to us when we look at that. I think the church can get in this place where we think, oh, they're, they're, they're too woke to be reached. They don't really care. They don't want the gospel. There's no, what's the point of trying that? Seriously? Think of the movement we're part of, Calvary Chapel. That started with a heart of showing grace unto people. That was the heart of this movement. Come, and we're going to show the word, and we're going to let the spirit of God do what he does with the word. And we need to be in a place where we don't do that because as the church gives up, a false gospel is permeating and running. The true gospel, Jesus says, when you come face to face with me, you have to change. I will unconditionally allow you to come. And as a brother this week sent me a funny thing about unconditional and condition, there's conditions when you meet me face to face. There's things that have to change. And you're going to change it for my glory. But as we, the church, if we don't remember that, if we don't stand for that, if we just give up on sharing, 
are saying, what's the point of evangelism? I've got to take care of myself. What's our call from our Savior, saints? And we need to remember, again, if we do that, there's those giving a gospel that says, stay as you are. I went on a word hunt with condition or unconditional, and then I found that there's an unconditional conference taking place in Georgia. And I was like, oh, what's this? This sounds interesting. And it's taking place, and it says, you're invited to the unconditional conference. This two-day premier event for parents of LGBTQ plus children and ministry leaders looking to discover ways to support parents and LGBTQ children in their churches. You'll be equipped, refreshed, and inspired as you hear from leading communicators on topics that speak to your heart, soul, and mind. We deeply desire this time will bring about healing and restoration. No matter what theological stance you hold, we invite you to listen, reflect, and learn as we approach this topic from the quieter middle space. And this is being run by North Point Community Church, and I'm not trying to do this thing where we talk about other folks, but I didn't know anything about that church. I was like, what's that? I know I've heard of it before. Andy Stanley's church, 30,000 people are part of that congregation. While the church is deciding to not stand for the gospel, a false gospel is running very victoriously for the enemy. So that's why I say, saints, we can't be a church that ever thinks, what's the point? We don't need to go there. Chapel Hill's too left. We got to hit it. What did we learn in July when we looked at the Church of Philadelphia? The door has been opened. May we be his hands and feet. Verse 15. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever, whoever believes, no perish, eternal life. Whoever. It's not about race. It's not about gender. It's not about sexuality. It's not about class. It's not about income. It's not about anything. It's whoever. Whoever. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We keep turning here in the context of salvation. Verse 9. Do you not know, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. That right there covers about everything, folks. That that hits it all. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Whoever believes shall not perish. Jesus came for the whoever's to become such were some of yours. And we need to see that. And we need to remember that as we're ministering, as we're sharing, as we're going that. What Jesus came to do. Whoever. If you think, well, I'm not good enough. Well, I have this thing or I have that. No, whoever. Whoever. Come and believe. Believe in who? Jesus. The result, eternal life, not perishing. We saw in Psalm 1 when we started the book of Psalms, it's the reality of the duality. The blessed man walks in the word of God, meditates in it day and night, delights in it. Remember to check your heart before you get in the word. But the one that perishes is the one that's taking all their counsel from the world. And in that psalm, you see it's that walk, stand, sit, slope that goes. What's that perish? Eternal judgment. So we see in this, when we get now to verse 15, Jesus has given the facts to Nicodemus. You got to be born again. You got to be born of water and spirit. 
We saw those two parents last week. We saw that the wind and the spirit, it takes faith. Verse 9, we see that it's deep faith and believing. And then it's Jesus' death for our life. And then we land at verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So when we see that, some folks will look at that and say, well, how could, how could a father do that? That's so harsh. Again, think of who he, this verse is being spoken of in the presence of Nicodemus, Abraham and Isaac. He would know of this sacrifice that had taken place where the Lord calls it and a lamb is needed and the lamb is provided. And then he would remember, John the Baptist said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the sin as we keep looking at because it's everything put on him. It's a gift given. It's a gift. It's freely given. When we turn to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. I'm going to read verse 8 again. For by grace you have been saved. It's a gift. Through faith, belief, not of ourselves, nothing we can do. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Why? We are his workmanship. What are we? Created in Christ Jesus. For what? Good works, which give him his glory, which God prepared beforehand that we should work in them because he's sovereign and in control. So we look at that. That's the whole purpose of what this verse says. And then you can say, well, how could he do this? Well, how? For God so loved the world. God's love is so big for the world. Now that's going to rattle Nicodemus too. Wait, now you're saying the world. I thought it was just the Jewish people. The world? No, Nicodemus. I'm trying to get you to get something here. It's for everyone. The depth of that love for all that he gave his only begotten son. He gave. He doesn't say, here's the checklist. If you give me your punched card with 10 punches, you get salvation. No. He freely gives as a gift his only begotten son, his most prized, beloved, only begotten son given as a gift that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. Everlasting Eternal. So when we read this, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Are there requirements for how you need to show up? Do you need to show up perfect? Do you need to show up having it all together? I don't see that in there. I had a conversation after the concert with someone that was so set, well, I, I just got to get a few things in order and then I can give, give it all to the Lord. What are you waiting for? We're not guaranteed the next moment. You could leave here, God forbid, car accident, and you're gone. We're not guaranteed any next moment. And it makes that old hymn, only a sinner saved by grace, have so much in it because guess what? That's what it is. It's grace. It's a gift. You're not good enough. You're never going to be good enough. You need the gift I'm going to give you. That's what Jesus is saying to him here. 
It is a free gift. And in that, you're a new creation. When we're that new creation, old things pass away. We talked about being born again last week, the birth story, your birth story. Are you sharing, saints? Are you sharing with the people in your lives who Jesus is, what he's done in your life? Verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And that makes sense because if we look, what is the act of God that is doing all of this about salvation? His love for us. When people want to say God is love, he is love. And he loves you so much, he's not going to let you stay the way you are. He can't do that. And then we see, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus' purpose is to save mankind. He knows the condition, depraved. He knows the condition, not good enough. And he is saying there's a consequence. Believe and receive or condemnation, eternity away from him. Last week we saw we all deserve death. Talked about how we're basically, we're born to burn. But by the grace, the mercy, the blood of Jesus, we have new life again. And that new life is for all. Turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That's a beautiful, blessed promise. And he himself, he alone, nothing else, is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. For the whole world. He came for all. There's none that he does not want to see, receive, and come to him. For the whole world. It's part of why we have hands and feet beyond the walls of this church. Pastor David's going to be going to India in October. The whole world. Be in prayer for that. Be in prayer for any who's in Albania. These are, this is what we're called to do because he came for all. Now, if one doesn't believe, they can't receive. As such, they're condemned. Then that question comes, that's the Jesus you want to follow who sends people to hell? He's just sending people to hell because they don't believe? Hold up, let's look at what we read. You've got to be born again. Believe and receive. Jesus didn't come to condemn, but to save. Believe and receive, you have eternal and everlasting. Reject, and you're condemned by yourself. Huh? Look at verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. When you believe in him, there's no condemned. When you don't believe, there's condemned already. 
John 1 gave us the hint of this coming. When we looked at verses uh, 6 through 14, but particularly 7, this man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. Light versus dark. That's the reality that we see. And when one doesn't want to come to the light, to Jesus, believe, receive, surrender, I'm all yours, you're saying, I believe and receive that I'm good enough. I believe and receive that I don't need you. You're rejecting. And you're making that choice that brings that condemnation. Now, we have to then understand, how does that work? How, what's the heart behind that? This is, again, where uh, on this journey as your pastor, just a few months in, I am in awe of how God uses his word and ties everything together. Because those of us who are going through Psalms on Wednesday, Psalm 10, what did we just spend so much time looking at? The heart behind sin. The heart of someone that sins. Why can't they come to acknowledge who God is? And guess what? Pride. Because when you're rejecting, you're saying, I got this. I'm in control. I'm God. And this is why I say the church has to stand even more because culture today is giving that message as truth. Education is giving, we got to be praying for our youth, that message as truth. And when we looked at Psalm 10, what do we see? They seek not God. They don't think about God. And then we saw how they act, sneaky, lurking, because it's darkness. They don't want to be found out. They want to do what they're doing, but they don't want to be found out. And then they want to get people that are with them, do this with me, do this sin with me. And in Romans 1.32, we see, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. The darkness becomes a place of saying, yeah, okay, let's join this. Let's, let's get huddled as much as we can. And a picture, a big group of people all in the darkness, all huddled together. How are they going to see the leader? They're not because there isn't one, because it's self. But when the light comes, think about that. I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that. You're forced to see reality. Think of being completely in darkness. If I put you in a dark room for a week and then turn a light on, it's going to be an intense moment of now suddenly seeing things, seeing reality. They don't want to believe because they don't want to surrender. Pride. Me, 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 me. That's the culture that we're in today. The problem isn't so much about intellect. Like I said, people can hear and understand it. They can understand what we say when we're speaking these words. The issue is blindness to truth and an inability to receive. The issue is rejecting and saying no change can be made because I'm going to keep doing what I want. And when that film that some of us got to watch, the American Gospel, Christ Crucified, we see what's going on with the progressive church and the emergent church where people are doing that. And the big thing is deconstructing Christianity to say, okay, well, I look at what you're looking at in this, in, you know, John, but the reality is a loving God wouldn't do this. He wouldn't send people to hell. Newsflash, he's not doing that. You're choosing because you're rejecting. That's the reality. 
And again, when we look at this in a world that's so divisive, 316, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Where is race in that? Where is gender in that? Where are political parties in that? Where are diagnoses in that? Where are all of the things that we're so lost in in our present time in that? Do you see any of that in there? No. It's just about coming and then he's going to do what he's going to do, which is make you a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17. We can't distort the whole counsel of the word of God that takes this verse and reminds us it is beyond just that moment of belief. It's then that life of discipleship. It's that journey of then being refined, being who he needs us to be. But what's holding people back? Darkness. Hating the light. I don't want people to know what I'm doing. I don't want people to know how I've been. And then what builds up? A hatred for the things of God. What builds up? A hatred towards the church. What builds up? Inner tension within the church. And we hear, well, you guys don't, you, you guys are so mean, you Christians, to say there's only this little narrow way and we have to do these things and it's check, check, check. For God so loved the world. When we think about John 3.16, it covers the whole gospel, but we've got to remind folks, the love of God is so rich and strong that he doesn't want you to stay the way you are right now. I know you think you're good enough. I know you think you've got it all together. But what would you do if I told you there's actually a way that's even better for eternity? Because that's the love that God has for us. That's the love that God has for his children. He sees the condition. He knows there's eternal consequences and he gives a choice. But again, as we see at the end of these verses, that darkness keeps people away because it feels good. Sin feels good. You could be sitting here right now, you're listening, you're like, okay, he's still talking, we're almost there. I can't wait to get out of here and go crack a beer. You know, I, I can't do this, or I can't wait to go do this thing. I can't wait to go do that thing. Check yourself. Sin feels good. The things that we want to do that are against God feel good. But we've got a choice. Do we go with the feeling or faith? And as you go in faith, as you allow his word to refine you, guess what? The thing that feels good is glorifying Jesus. The thing that feels good is resisting the devil that he can flee. Because he's made you a new creation. Nicodemus has a choice. We'll see the fruit of his choice later on in this gospel when he's involved in coming to bury the Savior but there's a choice. So to that question that some will say, does Jesus cast people to hell? British theologian Adam Clark, I like his words on this. They chose to walk in the darkness that they might do the works of darkness. They broke the divine law, refused the mercy offered to them, are arrested by divine justice, convicted, condemned, and punished. Whence then does their damnation proceed? From themselves. There's a choice. Receive or reject. There's a condition, there's a consequence, there's a choice. Our condition, we're depraved. Our condition, we deserve death. Our condition, we need mercy. When you know you're guilty, the only thing that's going to help you is mercy. And the only one that gives eternal mercy is Jesus. 
That's the only one. Now, don't just sit here and say, okay, I'm saved. Great, I'm, I'm all set. I don't need to worry about the rest of what you're saying. Are you consistent? As we looked at Psalm 10 with the lurking and sneaking, is there anywhere in your life that you're lurking? If we opened up your devices, what are we going to find? Is Jesus Savior and Lord? For the unsaved, the condition you heard today, you heard the condition. If you haven't believed and received, you've heard the condition. You're rejecting, and that rejection, unless you make a change, has eternal consequences. Eternal consequences. Now, our consequence, if you've received him, it's eternal and everlasting life. You've surrendered to him as Savior. And my charge to you, how are you doing on the end Lord part? That means you need to daily crucify yourself and surrender to him. It means you need to recall you're his. You're made by him. It means that saved person, you need to strive to live the word of God. Men, that means we need to live this. We need to be strong men of God who pour the water of the word over our wives, who stand together. Women, that means you come alongside as the helper. You encourage, you enable, you empower. How are you doing on that? Are you empowering your husband to lead? Are you you encouraging your husband to lead? And youth, it means you respect the adults of authority in your life. It means we're living biblically. You could say, okay, well, well, we're always talking about the guys or we're talking about this leadership. That We need it, folks. The world needs strong men of God. The world needs strong families that love the Lord. And then people come alongside. I'm single. This doesn't apply to me. It does. And you may come alongside with a family. And if you're youth in this room, pray for a godly marriage one day in your lives. If you're saved and you're there, pray for these things. We don't just take our salvation and have it and say, check, good, I don't need to do anything with that. No, if you're not saved, if you're rejecting, your name isn't in the book of life. You will be in the lake of fire forever and ever. And there are no guarantees or promises as to what or when your last breath takes place. And you can fool yourself. I will tell you, you can. And again, with social media, you can really fool yourself. You can get a whole bunch of people on TikTok that, you know, you're, these are the people I follow. They get me. I'm living my truth. But you can't fool God. You can't fool God. So you have a choice. Receive or reject. If you're saved, any areas you need to refocus. Any areas you need to come to that repentance and just say, Lord, fill me a new Holy Spirit that I really keep running the race as you need. Is God actually your number one priority? We saw last week in Hebrews 5 that he said to them, you're needing milk again. You should be mature, but you're needing milk. Where are you on that? In John 3.16, for God so loved the world, we're called to be like our Savior. Do you love people? That's what I'm asking the believers here today. Do you love people? Or do you see someone? Do you judge them? Do you get upset about somebody? Are you like, well, this person does this. This person does that. This person does this. This person's not doing what they're supposed to be doing. That's not godly. da 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 And you're pushing them unto rejection. We need to love his creations, that they become his children. Matthew 5, 14, the light on the hill. Let us be that body. Let us be that light. 
And if you are not saved, the choice is today the day or not. You're in a love affair with sin. Why don't you have a love affair with Jesus? Why don't you come to the Savior? Look at your condition. Look at the consequences that it has and decide what choice will I make. It's something we always need to keep going through. And we, at salvation, have the big turnaround moment. But then as we go on on this journey of sanctification, continually check your condition. Continually check the consequences of choices you will make. Because we're supposed to be laying treasures in heaven. We're supposed to be running the race for eternity. And saints, if you think like that, it's going to help you pray without ceasing. That's a verse when you read it. It's like, that's a big charge. Believer, if you're thinking about your condition, if you're thinking about the consequence of what you're going to do, if you're thinking about the choices you have, you're praying without ceasing. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you hear those words, if you read those words, and it means nothing to you, let's talk. Let's talk about your condition. Let's talk about your heart. And let's have a conversation about eternity, and then the choice is yours. Receive or reject. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the cross. Thank you for salvation, Lord. Thank you for the gift that we can receive, Lord, from you, everlasting, eternal. Thank you for your faithfulness and goodness, Lord. Heavenly Father, we all have different people in our lives who are rejecting you. And Lord, we lift them up to you. Lord, we lift up the friend, the colleague, the family member that doesn't know you, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would help to soften their hearts, Lord, that they would receive this gift, that they would realize it's not about something they do, but it's what you have done on the cross. It is finished. And Lord, for those of us who know you, who live for you, help us, Jesus, to continually search our hearts that we run the race well for your glory. Thank you for this time, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.